I'm starting a new series this morning, which oddly I'm excited about because I think it's a word that we need to hear. It's a bit of a hard word, but one that is important called finding hope. Because how do we find hope, real, tangible hope, in an age of unbelievable anxiety? Especially in the United States, anxiety is a growing problem. There are some stats that say that 20% of Americans have a diagnosable condition associated with anxiety. And just the general population, everyone struggles with it on a certain level. I'm not just speaking to like one group of people. All of us statistically are more anxious almost than any moment in human history that any generation has ever had. And obviously... COVID is a part of that. And anxiety was worse than it had ever been before COVID. And now COVID has happened. And it's been a very long time. And it's odd for me to say this, but back as you think to like the beginning of this in March 2020, it almost feels quaint, doesn't it? And I couldn't find a better word than quaint, even though that wasn't the right word. Maybe you can think of the word and tell me or type it in on the chat and tell me later. But like the rush on toilet paper, it almost seems quaint, right? It's like, oh, that was a simpler time. Like when, when we all believe that, oh, well, if we just really shut down for four weeks, then this thing is all going to be over. And like we had this idea, and I remember I was watching ESPN early in, in March 2020, and there was an analyst saying, I think this is going to affect the college football season in fall 2020. And I was like, that guy's crazy. He has no idea what he's talking about. Football will go on. And it did kind of go on, but it was very messed up. And sports, I know if you're a sports fan, continues to be messed up. Things are absolutely pandemonium still a couple seasons later. And when was the moment for you that you realized, like, this is something I haven't experienced before? I wish we were having coffee and I could talk to you about that. I remember very specifically it was Friday, March 13th, Friday the 13th, I should have known. And we decided in the morning uh, that we were going to have services because we thought it's probably the right thing to do. But as the day went on and I was checking in with some friends, almost every church I knew was, was canceling an in-person service. Even the phrase in-person service is very interesting, right? Like, are you offering in-person services? It's like, I've never even heard of that before. Like, what, what are you talking about? Uh, but it's a phrase that during the church world, we've realized. So in the morning, we decided not to cancel, but then as I was looking around and seeing friends and hearing feedback, I was like, if we're going to be the only ones who have a live service, so I think it's probably right that we make the decision. I taped a PSA in the back of this room and then left, and on the way home, I thought, I should probably stop by to stock up on some food to just see what I have, and I went into the Trader Joe's right here on Friday, March 13th, about 3.30 p.m., and there was literally nothing on the shelves. There were just a couple items and everybody was running. It was just an absolutely crazy scene. One of the only things that they had there were tamales. And so I grabbed three packs of the Trader Joe's frozen tamales. And uh, it's interesting because Trader Joe's usually gets everything right. (laughs) My wife says that... (laughs) The Trader Joe's is always like, give the people what they want. That's her phrase. And the things like you didn't even know that you needed, like sriracha hummus. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And they have all these items. But there was a reason the tamales were still on the shelf because we ate a couple of them and they were not good. So uh, I could see why. Like, literally everything was picked over in the store except the Trader Joe's tamales. I can recommend the other stuff. But that was the moment for me walking to that Trader Joe's where I thought, this is like nothing I've ever experienced before. What was that like for you? 
And it has caused us anxiety. It's caused us uh, to be apart from each other, the things that we really need for, for community and, and love, the things that help us with our anxiety, coming and, and worshiping together, being together in, in community. Even though it's nice to work remotely, being around coworkers, there's an element of that that is good for, for all of our spirits. And the world is just very different now. And if you were anxious before COVID or if you're anxious now, just wanted to let you know you're not alone. I've had the opportunity to do spiritual counseling with some of the members of our church for, for various things. And there are a few specifically who have talked to me in the past about their anxiety. And normally I would have someone come up and, and share about it, but this is a little more personal thing. So I've asked them to just share some of their experiences and I'm gonna talk about them anonymously uh, during this series as we continue. But one of our members wrote about um, their experience with anxiety. When my anxiety is at its worst, I feel paralyzed in every sense. I'll stay in bed, mostly asleep, for 12 plus hours a day. My right side goes numb. I have trouble participating in any kind of conversation. Thankfully, after several rounds of counseling and 10 years of intentionally learning about myself, these types of severe episodes are limited to a day here and there, no longer days at a time. I would say my experience of anxiety over the last few years has been more average, but I can tell when something starts to build up. So again, I just want to say, if you are ever in that space, just know you're not alone. And we are here for you for, for spiritual counseling, if, if you're in need of that, and also to recommend uh, more professional counseling who will be able to, to help you perhaps have more tools to deal with that. Because people within our church, all of us, it's likely that you have a higher level, probably much higher level of anxiety than your grandpa did because it's part of our generation. And that is a space that I think we can get some comfort from scripture though, because how do you find real hope in the midst of this kind of world? If you aren't familiar with the story of, of Job, Job is a very odd book, Satan makes a bet with God, which I always struggle with theologically, uh, about how wonderful Job is. And Satan basically says, well, if he had everything taken away, then he, he would like, do some bad things. And, and God's like, all right, let, let's, you're on. You know, it's very strange. But then like Job's life just unravels immediately in Job chapter one. His servants keep running to him with bad news, like all your oxen have died, all your camels have died, now all your kids have died. And it was just like, just bang, 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 right from the very beginning. And Job's response, Response in Job chapter one is this. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away and the name of the Lord be praised. Translated into modern worship music, he gives and takes away. I mean, he's just like, you know, he, he gives and takes away. I mean, he's just like, Job, all of this terrible stuff happens. And I would argue that Job is at the stage of denial because of all that has happened. Like to, to say that, it's unbelievable, but he just says, God gives and takes away, and still the name of the Lord be praised. And the book of Job goes on for a lot longer. More bad stuff happens to him. He has conversations uh, with some friends who don't necessarily always give of good advice, and not all the rest of the book sounds like this. 
In Job chapter 30, for example, it says, Now my life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. In his great, in his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. So if you've had moments in your life where you feel like praising. I know this has happened during the pandemic. There's been moments I've just said, God, you know, this has been really hard, but, but I see your presence and I see you working, but there's other times where I'm thinking, I don't really have a whole lot of strength left. I don't know if I can do this for another month and a half. God, where are you right now? And if you felt that way, during the pandemic or at another time in your life, you're not alone. I think of the prophet Elijah, who perhaps has the greatest spiritual victory in human history. In 1 Kings 18, he has this showdown with the prophets of Baal, who was a god that other people besides the nation of Israel worshiped, and Israel worshiped at times even though they weren't supposed to. And he has this unbelievable showdown with 450 prophets of Baal. I don't have full time to go into that story, but the prophets of Baal, they're trying desperately to get Baal to do something. And Elijah gets an unbelievable moment of taunting. In the literal Hebrew, he says to the prophets of Baal, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Like, I don't know. That's the literal Hebrew. It's like, maybe your God is like using the restroom and like eventually he'll get back to it. But nothing happens after all of this effort and 450 people. And then Elijah calls on Yahweh, the God of Israel. And there's a pyrotechnic huge display. And it's just unbelievable. And perhaps you think of a moment that's the spiritual high for you. Maybe it was a retreat. Maybe it was just a moment when you really intimately felt the presence of God or heard the voice of God in your life. Elijah probably has you beat in this moment. Because think about that, you know, 450 prophets and just like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just gonna show you the power and work of God. That's chapter 18. And then chapter 19 happens. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. So he'd done all of these things and he'd killed off all the prophets. So literally because of this unbelievable moment of what God has done through Elijah. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, which is a hundred miles away in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. What happened to 1 Kings 18, Elijah? As a result of this unbelievable, like, spiritual victory that God gives him, he's nervous about, like, Jezebel trying to kill him? Don't you remember what just happened? And I know my memory is often short when it comes to things like that. 
But if you've ever felt the presence of God in a very special and profound way in a certain moment, and then maybe even just a day later, you're fearful and questioning and deeply in a dark place, you aren't alone. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in the history of the world. And he, just like us, goes through moments where we're afraid, where we feel alone, when we forget, perhaps, the faithfulness of God that was just there. The book of Psalms is the the songbook of ancient Israel. And if you read through that, it's unbelievable what is there. There's 150 Psalms, many of them written by David, also many others that that weren't. And in the Psalms, you find just a brutal honesty that, to be honest, I, I don't think I'm even comfortable praying with. And the ways that the, the Psalms talk about God and, and address God and bring hearts and, and, and thoughts before God, it's just, it's simply unbelievable because it's just so raw and honest. And there are some Psalms that start in one space about you know, perhaps questioning God or questioning what's going on, but then end up with a moment um, of praise in the end. But one that, that's interesting to me, and there are many that are like this, in Psalm 88, and this one specifically gives instructions to worship leaders on how to sing it at the very beginning. So this is something that you would have like, sung in a worship service. And here's the end of Psalm 88. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become my darkness, or darkness is my closest friend. Hello, darkness, my good friend. And we don't really sing songs like that. Some of the songs that we have will have perhaps like a moment, like there's like, you know, one line where we are talking about a struggle or something, but then it generally ends with like the power chorus at the end that comes in. And I understand there's reasons for that. I think that Sunday mornings are a space to to gather and and celebrate God. But what about those moments when you're going through a really anxious time? Or when you're struggling? I think sometimes we do need to end a worship service every once in a while with, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. See you guys next week. You know, we could just do that every once in a while because that is some of the room every single week. That's some of who's watching online every single week. And that's one reason why it's a blessing. I I get the chance to interact with people who are coming to our church maybe for the first time or coming to faith for the first time and have a lot more questions. And one thing that I like to do is, is pray with those people and just be around those people because sometimes they'll cuss and then they'll put their hand over their mouth and they'll go with the pastor. I, I, just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that. And I'm just like, you know, it, it's all right. You know, maybe don't make it a habit all the time. Be a little careful with it, but it's, it's all right. And I love when people who are coming to faith for the first time, like pray because they don't have all the Christianese. 
They aren't talking like they're talking to God on a Sunday morning, which we often talk like God is like hundreds of miles away from here. And just like, let me show you all how glorious and wonderful like my prayer life is. And so let me use eloquent words. It's just, it's a little more honest. And I appreciate that. One of my friends, uh, his wife, came to faith in high school and she was deeply like moved and, and really interested in faith. And she had her a moment when, when she felt like she was called to offer God all that she had in her savings, which was $150. And she wrote the check out at church and, and then put it in the offering tray and just thought of it as this, this great moment of, of faith. And that week, the church office called her and said, we deeply appreciate this gift. We're so excited that you got baptized recently. We're so thankful for this, but we can't cash this check. And she said, why? And they said, because you made it out to God and we can't cash a check to God. And so she had to rewrite it and, and figure uh, that out. And just an FYI, we can't accept checks to God here uh, either. But new Christians and people who are coming around it for the first time, it's just, there's an honesty and a connection and a way that sometimes I'm jealous of, to be honest, because it's incredible what happens when you realize that there is a, a being who you can speak to at any moment with whatever is on your heart. And the Psalms illustrate, and other parts of the Bible illustrate just how honest you can be with what's going on. I think of the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick and then he stays where he is for three days for some reason. We don't really fully know why. But then he goes uh, to actually be there and everybody around is, is mourning and wailing because his friend Lazarus has died. And Jesus approaches the tomb. And as he sees the mourning and the grief Scriptures give us the shortest verse in the English language, which is Jesus wept. But right before that, it mentions that he's deeply moved in his spirit. And a good, like, modern English translation of that would be that he's pissed off. Because he sees what's happened to his friend. And he sees the effect that it's having on everybody. He's angry. He's angry at death. I've heard it said that you could argue that the Bible is more about God's, God's absence than God's presence. We could debate that. But there are individuals who have profound moments with God, where God intercedes and, and speaks. But even to those people, like Mary, who we talk about during the Christmas season, she has more questions than answers, like, how is this whole thing going to work? And she's filled with anxiety and fear about how this whole thing is going to go down. We see people asking hard questions of God. I think of a woman who is a, a literal saint in our time, Mother Teresa. She did so much good work and she lived her entire life in a, in a leper colony, did so much ministry to people who were desperately in need. And when she died, her journals were discovered. And one thing that was shocking to people is how much she struggled with faith. 
Mother Teresa. She wrote in a letter to a friend, Jesus has a very special love for you. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see, listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but does not speak. So if you have moments like that in your life when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel distant from God, just know that you aren't alone. In the Bible, in human history, within our church community. As we think about how to find like real tangible hope, as we begin to think about this in this series, I would offer you one question that I think is important. In the Psalms, this is actually a Psalm of David, Psalm 42.5 says this, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And I would argue one of the reasons why we can struggle, why I can struggle with anxiety, is that we don't pause to ask that question. We just perhaps have our minds spinning and we have all of these things in our head and, and our fears and our anxieties and they're all coming up and they can start to engulf us and be the only thing that we think about. And it would help us tremendously. It would help you and, and I tremendously if we were just to ask, why is it that I'm so afraid of this? What is the thing behind the thing? You don't get less anxious by thinking about anxiety. It's like they say in baseball, there's no way you're going to hit the ball if you're thinking about all the ways you can miss. We need to sometimes pause and ask the question, why is it that you are so disturbed? What is the thing behind the thing? What is it that is causing me? Is it because I'm, I'm afraid of my reputation? Is it because I'm, I'm afraid of, of this or X or whatever it is that we happen to be thinking about? And again, I'll, I'll go to one of our friends from our church community who, who shared about an experience with, with anxiety and how, how helpful some things have been. And this individual shared, I cannot overstate how helpful professional counseling has been to me. And let me give a shout out to professional counseling and some professional counselors Carolyn in the room, she's a rock star. Um, and there are many people within, within our church community and, and it will be helpful to you to, to seek counseling, to ask questions, to have someone else objectively listen to your life and, and give you some pointers and, and things that would help you on your journey. This individual continues, during my last round, I came away with a few highly practical exercises that have been all but life-changing. One is the thought log. I write a list of the first thoughts that come to my mind, maybe five to 10. I then rewrite the list, stating the exact opposite. Finally, I rewrite the list one more time, finding a good middle ground between the two. Example, number one, no one will ever love me. Number two, everyone will always love me. Number three, I have people in my life who love me. Going through this process, you see, wow, my initial thought that I was feeling really strongly is not just as, is just as absurd as its opposite. I'm obviously not thinking clearly right now. 
When you do this for a whole list of thoughts, it helps to de-escalate the feelings that can otherwise seem overwhelming or to recognize that something has really been bothering you and you need to address it. I would recommend that to you as well. What is the thing behind the thing? Maybe to write that down. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous because I'm gonna do this if this happens or nobody's gonna love me or my life is gonna be a wreck. And write it down. And then write on the other side, everything's gonna be perfect. Everything's gonna be exactly as I want it to be. And then to find that middle space And to recognize and remember, perhaps, just as we celebrated with communion, that God's presence is with you. And your life isn't perfect. My life isn't perfect. There's things for us all to to be anxious about and to, to think about and to process. May we find rest for our souls somewhere else. I love how that psalm ends. If you could go back to that for me. Psalm 42, five. I think that asking that question, why is it, spirit, soul, why, why, am, I, why am I so downcast? What, what is it that is disturbing me? What is the fear and anxiety? What is it that's the question behind the question? When we actually pause and spend some time addressing and, and thinking about it, I think then we are able to put God back in God's rightful place. I think it's in those moments when we have the, the deep questions of life that we're always going to have as humans. Like, am I going to be loved? Are people going to, to see me at, as, as a success? These are deep and important questions. But when we actually really ask the thing behind the thing, then we once again get the opportunity to say, I'm going to choose to put my hope in you again. And God, I'm gonna remember that you have been faithful to me before. And I'm going to trust that even as we go through one more COVID surge, I'm going to trust that you're going to be with me again because you've been with me through the first five of them or seven. I don't know. I've lost count. But God, I'm going to trust that you will be with me again. And I'm not going to put my hope in all these other Places, and I'm going to ask the real questions of life. So if you are struggling with anxiety or, or depression or thoughts of suicide, please seek help. You're not alone. We all are struggling to, again, more of a degree than perhaps our grandparents did. We, as a staff, we're committed to, to talking with you if you need help. We can help you find some counseling. Because every once in a while, we need to ask the hard questions and the deep questions of life. We need to ask it with, with people that we know and, and love. And people who help us to be centered on the love of God. So let's close in prayer before we sing again.
God, I pray over all of us. People who, again, deal with anxiety perhaps more than any generation and some more acutely than others. May we seek help. May we take the time to ask what is the thing behind the thing? Why is it that I'm so anxious about this? What is it about this, this season that is bringing up old things in me? Father, help us to ask those questions and to then remember that people have been asking these questions forever. And that throughout hard things and difficult seasons and difficult faith journeys, even like that of Mother Teresa's, may we pause and, and reflect on your activity in the past in our lives and to seek your presence in those spaces. Father, help us to center our hearts and our lives on you one more time this week and one more time specifically during this song. Your son, Jesus, and I pray. Amen.